one point, probably around two-ish in the afternoon, you hear shots right outside of our door. And so we locked the doors, we turned off the lights. You know, we're all bunkered down in the hallway and our daughter is four at this time. And she says, hey mom, there's fireworks outside. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go with that, you know? And honestly, it was a blessing because there are a ton of kids in our house and you know, the parents are speaking about what's going on. And so these kids are terrified. Well, my kids don't speak the language. And so they're like, oh, friends are in the house. This is awesome. <laughs> I remember at one point my daughter drew on the wall for some reason and normally I would be like, what are you doing? But I had this thought of, if this is my last day, I'm not going to yell at my daughter today. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's beautiful. Welcome to the Journey Podcast. I am excited to share stories with you of real ordinary women who are walking through this life hand in hand with an extraordinary God. No one has written a book about their life. There may not be anything enormous about their life, but God is present in the everyday. My hope is that their stories will be an encouragement to you, that our God sees you, He hears you, He knows what you need, and He loves to answer those prayers. He is faithful to the promises that He has made, and He is trustworthy in the plan that He has for you. So come along with us as we hear stories from around the world of how our extraordinary God has walked through life with ordinary people. And my hope is that you will embrace the power of your story too. Welcome back to the Journey Podcast. I am so excited to share a new friend with you today. We have recently moved to the Houston, Texas area. And she has recently left her home in East Africa to come spend some time in Houston, Texas. And the Lord has crossed our paths in a beautiful way. I love Amanda's story and I'm so grateful that she is willing to share it with us today. Her family has followed the Lord's leading to unreached people groups in East Africa. She's the first to tell you that she's a scaredy cat and she struggles with fear But over the course of the years, the Lord has met her in that space and has provided what she needs and provided the strength that she needs through him. In the last few years, their city in East Africa has been riddled by war, and it's incredible to hear her talk about the Lord's presence in those times. I'm so glad that you have joined us, and I cannot wait for you to hear her story. Please welcome my new friend, Amanda. Welcome to the Journey Podcast, Amanda. I'm so honored that you would spend time with me today. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about you and about your family? Yes. So um, I've been married for 10, almost 11 years. My husband and I have four kids. We have one daughter and we have three boys. Their ages are two, four, six, and eight. And we currently live in East Africa. Um, we've been there for about eight years, and now we are just here on furlough for a couple of months. Okay, so tell me about your childhood. We are in Houston right now. Uh, did you grow up in Texas? I did. So um, born in Livingston, uh, spent my childhood in the Aldine area, and we moved to Humble when I was in about eighth grade, and my parents have lived here since then. So born and raised I would say it's all Houston so yeah, the Houston area 
So tell me about the Lord. How did you come to meet Jesus? What did that look like for you? So my parents love the Lord. I'm blessed to have godly parents. And they um, they obviously raised us in a Christian home. When I was probably around six years old, we went to this small little church in the Aldine area. And on the weekends or week Wednesdays, we'd have house church. Um, and so I remember one night my dad was talking and I don't remember what he said, but I remember at the end of his lesson, my heart was pounding and I was very afraid. I was afraid because I did not know where I would go when I died. And so my mom took me to her room and she told me the gospel. She told me how I was a sinner on my way to hell. And, um, but thanks be to God, he, he took my punishment on that cross. He rose again. And if I surrendered my heart to him, I didn't have to live in fear. I could, I could know God uh, while on this earth and I could have eternal life. And so as a six-year-old, um, as much as I understood, I put my faith in Jesus. Um, I wanted that, that confidence, but little did I know what a ride that would be. As a, as a young kid, I, I was, you know, for the most part, pretty good. Um, so I did. I started reading my Bible and praying and practicing the disciplines early. Um, but probably when I was about 16 years old-ish, as a teenager, as a teenager, you, you tell all your best friends about your crushes and the people you like and the people you love. And the Lord very loudly spoke to me and said, Amanda, if I'm the love of your life, who are you telling about me? And so I had been saved maybe a decade and maybe I told like one person, like in so far, my relationship with Christ had been me and him. And that's when he started to open my eyes to the fact that, you know, like my job is to go and make disciples. Every believer's job is to go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. And so in high school, I was very shy, but the Lord worked with me. You know, we are weak, but he is strong in us. And so he started teaching me how to share the gospel. And then probably in college, I loved adventure and you know, here we do door-to-door evangelism. Well, I saw this website that said it was a mission trip and they did hut-to-hut evangelism. <laughs> That's amazing. So I, uh, I had this interest in missions, but honestly, uh, when I was in college, the Lord opened my eyes to the fact that there are people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. I know growing up here, um, there are a lot of people who maybe have heard the gospel. Um, Honestly, there's a lot who haven't heard the gospel. My parents do evangelism rallies a lot and they share the gospel and they ask, you know, have you ever heard this story before? And many people in America say, no, I've never heard that before. So I'm I'm realizing that now, Um, but maybe they've at least heard the name of Jesus. Well, I wanted to go to the tribes where no one had ever heard the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. I want to be the first one to tell them. And so um, I, I signed up for this mission trip, but that summer, my brother married my best friend actually and so I did not go well the next summer they contacted me and they said spots still open do you want to come and I said yes and that is actually where I met my husband so even God was in that knowing when I needed to go on that trip but um yeah that was probably the Lord's slowly from a young age working with me to conquer fears to calling me to the mission field that is so awesome. I love those stories and they come up so often on this podcast where somebody says, well, I was supposed to do this, but something yeah. happened and ended up doing this instead. And then something crazy 
amazing <laughs> happened on the instead. So yeah, yeah. God is in control. You just got to trust him. I love that. Okay. So how old were you at that point? Oh, when I went on the trip, yeah, probably on maybe 22-ish, 21, 22. I was a junior in college, or it was okay. the summer between my junior and senior year, but I also took the community college route instead of the five-year five year plan. So yeah. probably 22, I think, when I went. And how long were you there? It was a two-month uh, trip, and that's a whole other long story that I won't go into about how the Lord just divinely put Jason and I together. But we didn't start dating until we got back. But it was two months of just hut to hut evangelism, 22-hour boat ride down the Amazon River, just go from village to village and follow the Holy Spirit with each one. Sometimes we did kid programs. Sometimes we did adult programs. Sometimes we did, you know, it was different every time. But um, it, was, it was amazing. God became very real. And Gabe really grew a love for just kind of the third world culture uh, through that trip. But, yeah. Wow. That is amazing. There's not many young people who would say, I think I want to spend my summer in the middle of Africa or wherever going from hut to hut. Like most people don't really dream of that. So I think that's so yeah. cool. <laughs> it was so fun. It was so fun. I came back with like staff A infection, like legs, <laughs> you know, legs. I didn't shave for months. It was, I looked like an Amazon woman. It was pretty disgusting. But <laughs> But Jason still fell in love with me, so I knew he was the one. Huh? So. There you go. There's no facade here. Like, <laughs> I love that. Okay, so so he's an American as well. Where is he from? He's from West Virginia. West Virginia. Okay, so you guys came back to the States. Yes. Uh, he went to West Virginia. I went back to Texas. I like to say our sixth time seeing each other was our wedding. It was about a year later. Now, granted, the first time was two months in the Amazon, but... Yeah, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. I think by graduation, he had proposed and we were married the next summer. So it was a fun year for sure. That is awesome. So you met with this, um, in this world of missions. Was that something that you wanted to pursue as a family going forward? Yeah, I think, you know, he was, he was studying to be a doctor, went on this trip and the Lord just really told him he was called to missions and so he went back and majored in biology and then he went to seminary instead and so it was just one of those things like I said our our whole story is a whole other thing I could talk forever about but when you know you know and I knew God was calling me to missions he knew God was calling him to missions and through just our conversation we knew God was calling us to do it together and so he went to seminary right out of college and uh, I worked for a few years and then we just knew when you meet I guess when you meet on a mission trip you know you're going to go to the field and so the seminary we went to had a program two years in the states two years overseas and then um, we went eventually to the IMB and took the career path but we knew pretty early on that we were called to missions together and so in fact that's part of his his story is he did not want to get married. He wanted to live for Jesus, just him and Jesus. And through that trip, one night we were sharing the gospel together and the Lord just kind of confirmed to him, no, this is your teammate. Like y'all are better together than alone. And I'm just very blessed to have him as, <laughs> as a teammate in this crazy journey. So, yeah. What did your families think about this shift in your future? You know, we also, which is very funny because as I go into my testimony, about this um one of my biggest issues was being away from family but they 
they were very supportive. I mean, they, I mean, depending, we have a large family. He's got, there's nine kids in his family and five in mine, and they all have, you know, spouses and kids and whatnot. And so for the most part, everyone was very supportive. Uh, it was just, they were sad. <laughs> like from my side, I was taking the first grandbaby. Finley was only six months old when we left to go to the field. And it was, it was funny. You talk to people and you tell them you're going to Africa and they say, are you going to take her with you? <laughs> we're like, well, she's our daughter. So yes. But yeah, so taking a six month old was hard, I think, for especially grandparents and stuff. But they, like I said, they love the Lord. They, they surrendered us to him a long time ago. And now they're having to surrender their grandbabies too. But they did it. And we're very blessed to have a supportive family and all of that. Oh, praise God. I feel like that makes that transition so much easier when you know that your family is supporting you. It was a hard transition with supportive family members. I could not imagine, <laughs> I could not imagine having family upset at us for that, but I know that people do it. And so that's just, I'm counting that blessing, but yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you get married, he goes through seminary. What happened next? Uh, we go to the field. So um, 2013, is when we left and we went to, in the country we, we live in, we have to learn Portuguese. So for the first year we learned Portuguese and a lot of people talk about the honeymoon phase. You know, it's, I'm gonna clash with myself here. I talked about my love for adventure. And well, now that I'm a wife and a mom and you start to take on more responsibility, <laughs> the fear of what am I doing? Like just come over you. And the first night we got there, I cried because I was like, I don't want to be here. But I knew that God wanted us there. And so I said, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to do my job. And it was, it was uh, I guess, encouragement for me to learn the language because I couldn't tell anyone about Jesus if I didn't know it. And so uh, learn language that first year. Okay, so in 2014, we moved to this small town and the company we were with said, okay, go start churches. Well, part of our calling is that Jason feels very burdened for Muslim people groups. And I've told you, I felt very called to go where there was no gospel well through those two callings the lord brought us to this specific town very animistic yet there's this huge muslim tribe um, that lives in this town and so we show up and everyone at this point you have your stricter muslims you have your non-strict muslims but you have you know women with their face coverings all you see are their eyes you see men in their little checkered scarves and their robes and and, and our company says, all right, go start churches. And you're like, uh, <laughs> they're like pre- preaching against Jesus over the loudspeaker in their neighborhoods. And you're like, awesome, here we go. Um, and honestly, you feel very overwhelmed. I'm sure many of us feel that way where you're just in a spot where you're like, what have I signed up for? Um, and we just, we just asked God, we spoke to a very mature, older missionary couple that said, you know, when they first got to the field, they just prayed and asked God to bring them what we call green lights. So there's red lights, people who don't want anything to do with the gospel. There's yellow lights, people who want to learn more. And there's green lights, those who are ready to accept him now. And they said they prayed and God answered that prayer like the next day. So we were like, well, we're going to do that. And so we go home and we just start praying, God, bring us a green light, bring us the person of peace, you know, bring us the one who you have ready. And within a couple of days, this man knocks on our door and he's selling bracelets and he says, do you want to buy these bracelets? If you put them on your children, that they will heal them when they're sick. 
And Jason starts talking to him and he says, so why are you selling these bracelets? And he said, oh, well, well my kid's sick and I need money for medicine. And Jason <laughs> says, so the bracelets don't work, I'm assuming. <laughs> but long story short, that man keeps coming back. Jason shares with him every day and he gives his heart to the Lord after a couple of weeks and he goes home and we didn't even know this till later, but he shares with his wife who is a witch doctor and she comes to the Lord. She burns all of her witch doctor items. And, and this couple who I'll tell about later on has, has been like a rock for our church for, since the beginning. Um, and so through that with them, now we had partners, you know, we just started going hut to hut and sharing the gospel. And at this point in our town, that was okay um, because war hadn't gotten very big at this point. So the Lord provided ways to teach English. He provided just different means for us to meet people. And it took about four or five years, but we got about four believers. We were so excited. Hold on. Hold on. Did you say four or five <laughs> years to get four believers? Yeah. Well, it was, you know, it's really, really crazy looking back at our time here because in the last year we were there, I mean, we were seeing such fruit. We probably got up to about 15, 16, I want to say, but it was like all in the last year. Uh, it was really probably four or five solid people for several years. And people would come to the Lord, praise you Christ, but with Muslims, it's a lot like once you get baptized, that's when the community sees that you've crossed over, as they would say. And so people would, you know, Praise you, Christ, but not really choose to be baptized and then fall away. And, you know, you have all of all of that mixed in. But there was a solid, solid four or five for a while. And then the last year, the Lord started doing really, really neat things. And we started growing. But, um, yeah, briefly, I want to talk about 2015. That's okay. okay. Yeah. Because this is, in, this is in preparation for um, 2020. Okay. Yeah. So let's jump to 2015. What happened? Okay. So 2015. So I was the type of person growing up, I thought depression, I thought panic attacks, I thought all of those things were fake, and they were just people wanting attention. I did not think they were real illnesses, I guess. And the Lord very quickly humbled me in that thought, <laughs> because in 2015, we were driving down the road, and all of a sudden, I could not breathe physically. I physically, air was not coming out. I said, Jason, pull over the car, I have to get out. I get out and I just walked around and very slowly taking deep breaths, um, started breathing again. And this started to happen frequently. And a lot of times it was when I traveled and anytime I got on a plane, like I feared the plane crashing and I would just feel claustrophobic and I would have these panic attacks. And it came to be like, honestly, during that season, I realized like if anything happens to my family member across the world, like it's going to take me two days to get to them. I'm going to have to cross an ocean to get to them it's like the feeling when you're pregnant you're excited and you're joyful and then you realize oh man this thing's got to come out of me you know it's like that fear of like the inevitable right. like it was this thought of like I'm gonna have to cross that ocean if I ever want to see my family again and it I just started feeling sorry for myself and living in this huge fear living where I was and I spoke to my dad and he was like you know Amanda in life you're going to get cut but it's up to you to choose infection and I thought, huh. and so I thought about that. And I said, you know, like, I, yes, I live, I live far away from, from my family, my, my loved ones overseas. And I can like feel sorry for myself about that. Or I can, I can put a bandaid on it and live the life God's called me to live, you know? 
And so that really helped me with that. But then I started fearing, like, what if something happened to one of my kids over here? What if something happens to Jason? Like, because, you know, I was, I was thriving with who I was with. And then it was like, what if something happens to them, you know? And I spoke to my mom in that time. And she actually experienced a similar thing around my age. And she just said, you know, Amanda, trust is believing that if something happens, God's going to get you through it. And and not fearing that today, you know, do not be anxious about tomorrow because today has enough worries of its own. And so the Lord really taught me like what trust is, you know, these church words that you grew up hearing, but like, okay, God, I trust you. I remember one night Jason was wrestling with the kids, like in the living room, having this fun moment. And I was sitting on the couch, terrified that something was going to happen to us. And I'm like missing the moment, you know, because I'm, I'm living in fear. And, um, and God was like, no, no, trust is don't worry about that. If something happens, I'll get you through it. But today, live today to its fullest, you know. And then I started fearing my own death because this, and I'll just say, the Al-Shabaab was very large in our community. And I remember one day, Jason and I went to our language teacher's house or their parents' house, and they were members of this Al-Shabaab group. And they just totally... Grants. I mean, they were asking us all these hard questions, which we could answer in Portuguese, but because it was a language class, you had to answer in, in the tribal language. And basically, like, it, it, I, we left that place feeling very spiritually attacked. And I came home thinking, oh, my goodness, these people know where we live. Like, they know my kids. Like, they know they're obviously out to get us. Like, what do I do? And God just led me to 1 John 4, 18, where it says, perfect love casts out fear. And I came home and I was praying for myself. I was praying for my kids. I was praying for her home. And God said, if you have my love, you will pray for them. Like You will pray for their salvation. I was pregnant with our third kid at the time. And his middle name is Azariah, which is Abednego. And Jason and I just had this talk. And Jason, I love him. He was like, you know, Amanda, you keep saying, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? But why don't we change that to even if? Because Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, my God can save us, but even if he doesn't, he's still good. And so we started saying that, even if this happens, God is still good. Even if this happens, God is still good. Acts 20, 24 says, you know, I do not count my life with any value, but I, I go and I run the race, you know, and, and I realized I was counting my life of great value. Like, who's going to take care of my kids if something happens to me? You know, who's going to take care of me if something happens to my husband? You know, who's gonna... and, and basically God said, you count your life of too much value. And I'm not lying. The word of God just came so alive to me. And at time, I would be having a panic attack. And I would open up the word to Leviticus. And like, breath would just come back into my lungs again. <laughs> I mean, he gave me a promise. I'm not kidding. Uh, promises of like, Matthew 6, 21, well, your treasure is there, your heart is also. Are you treasuring the things of this world? Are you treasuring your husband and your kids more than you're treasuring me? Uh, Matthew 16, 24 through 26, take up your cross and follow me. Matthew eleven thirty, 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And basically he just started transforming my mind to like, I didn't realize that, you know, I'm going overseas as a missionary. I've surrendered all, but I was saying it, but I was not doing it. And Slowly, one by one, I surrendered every family member. I surrendered my husband, my kids, my life, all of those things. And just gonna, you can keep this or not, but I, I, I put them in songs because I want to remember them. And so I started recording songs, and I have 
a website, uh, soundcloud.com. I don't know if you've heard of that, but soundcloud.com slash raw faith with the eight instead of AI. And I just started keeping these songs on that, on that thing. So I could always go back and just listen to them whenever I, um, I needed the word of God to encourage me. So anyway, that was all pre pre 2017, which was when the war in our town started. So. Okay. So 2017 things shifted in your country. Yes, my sister was actually in town and it was humorous now, um, but we were running one morning and she said, she said, do you feel safe, you know, living in this town? And I was like, yeah, we're in a small town village in Africa, we're fine. Well, the next morning we woke up to gunshots <laughs> and at first we were like, this isn't like a fireworks, we're in town, you know, like what, what are these things? And turns out this group had, they, they were attacking our town, but they were mostly going after uh, police officers and, and leadership in the town. But we had no clue of any kind of, any kind of anger towards government. You know, they, the Al-Shabaab group lived there, but there was no hostility anywhere. And so uh, one of our brothers, this couple I was telling you about from the beginning, they said, hey, you know, can my wife and kids come to your house? Because we have a cement house and they have a mud hut and we were like yes of course and so she came to our house and like seven people followed her in and we were like are these your neighbors and she said I have no idea who they are they just came they just followed me in here oh my gosh we were like, well, come on in. and so I mean we're all in the house the whole day and then at one point probably around two-ish in the afternoon you hear shots right outside of our door and so we locked the doors we travel lights I'm like cooking spaghetti for these people because they've been in my house all day and and I'm like, my thought is, oh no, they're going to smell spaghetti. They're going to be hungry. They're going to come in here and go. <laughs> um, I've learned that Muslim or Africans don't really like you know, spaghetti, come to find out. But um, anyways, you know, we're all bunkered down in the hallway and our daughter is four at this time. And she says, hey mom, there's fireworks outside. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go with that, you know. <laughs> And honestly, it was a blessing because there are a ton of kids in our house and, you know, the parents are speaking about what's going on. And so these kids are terrified. Well, my kids don't speak the language. And so they're like, oh, friends are in the house. This is awesome. <laughs> I remember at one point my daughter drew on the wall for some reason. And normally I would be like, what are you doing? But I had this thought of, if this is my last day, I'm not going to yell at my daughter today. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway, but all this to say, going back to what the Lord told me a couple of years ago, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm going to get you through it when it comes. Just live today. Well, this was that moment like that I was afraid of. And the Lord gave me such peace. Psalm 91 was huge in my life at that time. I'm going to have it right here. Verse one, sorry, says he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And he did that. I mean, if you continue to read Psalm 91, it talks about people coming to get you and how his angels will guard around you. And that verse just spoke to me so loudly that day, that evening. And eventually these guys left. Well, the next three years, attacks happened in villages around our town. And so we were now in a war, a war zone, I guess. But our town was so big that they didn't come back to our town for a while. However, people were very hesitant towards strangers, I guess, uh, or the white man. 
And so like at one point they found some Middle Eastern men in the bush. And so they assumed every white person was with this group. And so as we were going door to door, people were very hesitant to, to accept us. And the Lord just really provided a neat way through our church as for us to open up a center in town. And we were able to teach English. We taught different like plumbing classes, finance class. Teams would come and they would teach strategies of different types, trades of different types. And that allowed us to share the gospel because we'd go visit our students as the English teachers, you know, not as the strange expats who are visiting my house, you know? Mm. And so one night in our English class, we're going through the Old Testament and I'm teaching the Ten Commandments. And I go through these commandments and I say, okay, so which of these commandments are are easy for you to follow? And, you know, they they answer it. And then I say, so which of them are hard for you to follow? And some of my students, they say the killing. And I said, oh, okay. And, you know, some people laugh and I think, well, maybe they just don't know what they're saying, you know, because they're learning English. So I'm going to teach them what this word is. I'm like, so this is what this word means. Is that what you need to say? They're like, yeah, that's really hard for me to obey. (laughs) And I'm just like, all right, well, um, you know, God says, if you hate someone in your heart, that's like killing someone. So, and I just move on, you know, <laughs> I say a little prayer and move on with the night. Well, I laugh at that now, but looking back and, uh, the inevitable 2020, which I'll get to now, I guess a lot of these guys were members of this group that I had no idea they're going through our, our, our center and, you know, they're hearing the gospel and they're, they were, they were part of this group that, that attacked in, in 2020. And so, the Lord just, I don't even know. I literally have no idea how many times the Lord was watching over us in these three years, but I know that he was just from stories like that. But yeah, that was a great, in that year, the last last year, that happened in 2018, we had our center and man, people were just hungry and they were hearing and there were some salvations. And that's kind of when I told you earlier, the church just kind of started to grow. But we had those years before to really invest in these solid you know, handful of believers, which God is using now in big ways. So we're at 2020 now. Um, And at the beginning of the year, God just told my husband, he said, you know, this is going to be a really hard year for you and your family. Get ready. Um, And so (laughs) Jason tells me that. And I'm like, in the back of my mind, there's always the thought of something's going to happen to my family. Something's going to happen to my kids. Something's going to happen to my husband. Something's going to happen. So he tells me this in the beginning of January in 2020 and I think oh man something's gonna happen this year to my family well we start memorizing as a family Isaiah 43 uh one through three and it says fear not for I have redeemed you I have called you by name you are mine when you pass through the waters I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you when you walk through fire you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So we start memorizing that as a family, not knowing what's going to happen, but we start memorizing it. So in January, a couple weeks later, so we're about five hours from the nearest grocery store. And the bridge to the grocery store goes out. Power goes out. You know, there's this storm. We're out of power for like a week, maybe seven days or something. And we think, oh, okay. This is the hard thing God calls us to. No power for seven days. We got this. <laughs> um, little did we know what was coming around the corner, as you all know, 
sweet little COVID-19 also started to appear. And we had a team from our church that was supposed to arrive on March 23rd. Remember that date. On March 23rd, they were supposed to arrive. However, it was canceled because of COVID. Well, we had plans for that week in our English classes to, we had just introduced Jesus. We were going to do the cross and the resurrection. And, you know, me, I'm like, this is going to be like revival week. This is going to be awesome. Well, the team got canceled, but I was like, Jason, look, we can still do these classes. Let's let's have these classes. Okay, we'll rewind. We were running out of food. We needed to go to the grocery store to get food. And I said, Jason, we'll eat beans and rice for a week. Let's just do these classes, you know, and then we'll go next week um, to the city. Well, uh, COVID started to hit and the administrator of our town called and he canceled our classes. He said, no more classes for, for now, for the rest of the month. And so we were like, okay, well, we'll take that as we'll go get some food. Well, Jason, he is amazing. He knows the thorn in my flesh and the fear. And so he, he gets all the information about what's going on and he only tells me the things I need to know. And so he had known about some attacks about 10 kilometers away from us on both sides of our town. And he just started to feel like we needed to just step out for a little bit, especially if COVID was coming and we had to bunker down somewhere. Like we need a little bit of a break. We'll come back and we'll bunker down. So March 21st, we get on a plane. The day before, I, um, I had a fever, actually. Um, the morning we woke up, it was gone. We get on this little six-passenger plane and fly to the city. And that afternoon, when we got where we were, were going, my fever returned to me. <laughs> so the Lord just took my fever away for a couple of hours for us to fly. And the reason we flew was because the road to the city had had several attacks on it and so it was not safe to drive that way and so I was listening to your story just the other day similar to you we had clothes on the line drying I had homeschool papers everywhere there were toys or I mean we were just going to be gone for four or five days and come right back just get some groceries and come back so I don't know if you remember what was the date the team was supposed to arrive March 23rd Oh, yeah. Good listening. I told you. Uh, <laughs> should have put more faith in you. Huh? March 23rd. Well, we get to the city in March 23rd, around three or four in the morning. I hear Jason on the phone and and I, I'm like, what am I talking to? I go and I find him and he's like shaking um, and he's speaking Portuguese. And um, these guys had come into our town on March 23rd, the day the team was supposed to arrive. So God even worked with COVID to stop that from happening. But, um, you know, I think back had the team come, like we definitely would have been there, you know, uh, the team could have even arrived. But anyways, so he's shaking and he's, he's saying they're back. Well, I'm thinking three years ago when we were there, what it was like. And there were shots, you know, every 15, 20 minutes, you know, well, I'm calling, you know, our sisters, I'm calling even our lost friends, because we know a ton of people there. We've lived there eight years. And, and when you call, they answer the phone and they're like, hello, hello. Yeah, no, I can't talk. And in the background, you hear, bang, 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 bang. I mean, it's, it's not every 15, 20 minutes. It's intense shooting. And they're all hiding in their houses. And then they, they, they took out the power line. And so, 
after several hours, people suddenly started to die. And so we hear that they're really bad in town and then we don't hear from anyone for like a week. And we can't get to them. We can't call them. We have no idea. There's no news. It was not broadcasted what was going on. Finally, a week later, we got to hear from all of our brothers that were in our church at the time. And praise God, they were all okay. Well, this family I told you about from the beginning, the the witch doctor and the guy selling bracelets, he had sent his wife and five kids to another village for safety. And he stayed at home to watch the house. Well, when he sent them away, that village then got under attack. And so she is in the bush for we didn't hear from her again for five days and she's got a nursing baby. She's got five small kids. She's probably my best friend (laughs) of anyone there. I've known her the longest and my heart went out to her and God brought me back to Psalm 91, the verse he brought me to three years ago. I am your refuge. I am your fortress. I am your ever present help in time of need. And he put another song in my heart, which is also on that website, but my heart in that song I mentioned her and I'm like hold on your God is near you your God is there he is your refuge um you don't need a house you don't need the army you don't need the military you just need the Lord well praise God after about a week two weeks we found out that she was okay and then in the big city where I'm at people are starting to get worried that okay now they're coming to the city and I start fearing okay what's my strategy plan well being the wealthy Americans, we can easily hop on a plane and get out of there if we wanted to, which is something we've also struggled with in the past. But, and I'm going to say this honestly, praise be to God, sweet little COVID hit, and there was no leaving the country anywhere. And so I say that because by us remaining there, it allowed us to connect to these people in such a great way. Had we just fled, like, and left in there you know like which I don't know that we would have done that anyway I think God did that to help us make that decision because we've wrestled with that thought for three years would we stay or would we go um but anyway we're there and I start to worry about what if we come to the city and about two seconds later God says did you not see what I just did for you like <laughs> I got you on a plane I got you out of there I sent a virus so that you would leave you know like I am God I am sovereign God in control of all things do not worry about these petty things. Like you are in my hands and when it's your time, I'll let it happen. When it's not, don't worry about it. And so I, I just, I just trusted the Lord. And we had this time of intercession, honestly, because COVID hit, couldn't do much ministry. We weren't in our town. So like my normal studies and my normal things were happening. I had nothing to do. And it was just pray just pray the place we were staying it was like a little one bedroom house but there was this huge like walking track behind it and so I just went out every day and prayed and prayed and prayed for my brothers and my sisters and and the Lord just answered this prayer praise be to God so we're in this town we're debating or the city now okay six weeks have passed we know our furlough is coming up should we go back and, and pack up the house what do we do? And Jason had the, the thought of, you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to at least pack things up so that we can maybe just go to furlough from here, but then we'll have a house to come back to after furlough. So he starts planning this trip. There's a boat that was going to go up there. Oh, I told you we didn't have our truck, but God provided a way for a friend to drive it down. And we got a couple of items. I got some homeschool things. I got, you know, some clothes and stuff. So 
God was good in that way. Well, anyway, six weeks later, Jason's going to take this boat up and go pack up the house. But that trip was canceled because no one else wanted to get on the boat and go up there. And so as that trip was canceled that same week, these guys returned to our town. And this time, the military is shooting from the sky. They're hiding during the day. At night, when the military leaves to refuel, they're going door to door and they're, they're forcing people to go to the mosque. They're just decapitating those who won't. And they are, they're just taking over the town. And I think to myself, again, all the, all the what ifs, like, even in that little thing, God canceled that trip so Jason would not be there. You know, when this all happened, we had huge guilt that we were not there when the first attack happened. And one of our brothers told Jason, he said, you know, like, if you were there, we would have been worried about you trying to get to you. But because you weren't, we were able to blend in and hide and get our families out of there. But it was a very God thing that you weren't there. They were targeting, they were targeting Christians and we blend in more than you do. And so that was a huge, even just, he didn't have to say that, but just confirmation from the Lord that, yeah, that God, God knows what he's doing. So anyways, at this point, they came back a third time and they've officially taken over our account. So at this point, we're not going back. And just uh, listening, it's, this is the part where I feel like our stories are very similar. You know, you left your house with clothes on the line, you know, and then the reality of, I'm never going back there. What? Uh, this is weird, you know? And, and, you know, it's all rumors at first. You hear that the house has been blown up and then you hear that, oh no, it's fine. And you hear it's been shot at and you hear it's fine, but no one's going back to actually give you confirmation about your house. You know? <laughs> and so you're like, okay, well, you know, you feel this responsibility to like be a good steward of the things you have or that are the companies, but then the other part of you says it's just stuff, you know, leave it alone. And there was a roller coaster with every new attack. You just wrestled with surrendering all of your stuff. Well, finally on the middle attack, I think we had some friends who were there that morning and they had a couple hours. They're going to load up a truck and they were getting out of town. So they said, what do y'all need from your house? Well, I was just like, you know, it's funny, we were WhatsApping them and, you know, they're showing us, they say, do you want this book, you know, and it's on their face. <laughs> I'm like, turn, turn the camera around, like, turn the camera, I can't see what you're looking at. It was the most stressful thing in the world. And finally I said, you know, God, I cannot try to save things. Like, you know, my heart, you know what we need. If anything, please just put on that truck what you want us to have. And the rest is gone and we're fine with that. I did say prioritize pictures. I didn't want pictures of my kids on the walls if these guys were, were going through our house. But um, anyways, what we ended up getting was amazing. I have, I remember at one point, we have boxes of clothes that teams will leave and we'll just use them as gifts for people whenever they have birthdays or whatever. And, and we said prioritize pictures and clothes. Well, they brought all these trunks of clothes that we never use or that are too small for our kids. Oh, no. <laughs> but all of these refugees are coming to the city. And so we were able to give all of these clothes that have been sitting in our house for years away, finally, you know? Oh, um, wow. God knew what he was doing. And I remember at one point, so Jason and I wrote letters to each other when we were dating, and I had them in an envelope in a drawer next to my bed. Well, I had told our friend who was in our house, I said, go to our, our room, look in the top drawer next to our bed, grab this envelope and just bring that. Well, he, he goes into our room, and he, he shows us the room and he says, there's no, there's no envelope. I mean, 
looking at the room, so I forgot to mention this, either the military or these guys, someone had ransacked our house. And so mattresses were stolen, like, and he showed me the room and there's papers and there's clothes and there's broken print, like everywhere. And so he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, okay, in that moment, I was like, I'm not going to take that, that paper and that paper. Like, I'm not going to do that, you know, especially because he's fleeing for his life. And so I said, don't worry about it. So we get all of our stuff and I'm going through boxes and, you know, those little file binder things that we have. Uh, I had one that had like hard diplomas and stuff in it. And in the very back of this binder is this envelope of letters that Jason and I wrote to each other <gasps> we were dating. And I was like, I could have sworn this was next to my bed. And maybe I moved it there, but remember, probably, or God just did something awesome. But so it was really neat to see the things that we did receive. Like God didn't have to give me that envelope, you know, but oh. he did. And like a table my dad made us. And Three years ago, whenever all the even if stuff was coming up, I had painted a little plaque. And even if not, God is still good. And that little plaque came out of one of these boxes. <laughs> I was like, right, no. so that was probably June, July of 2020. We know that we're stuck in the city. One of our, in that second attack, I remember one of our brothers, last time we talked to him, he was hiding under his bed. There were bullets going through his mud hut. And then we didn't hear from him for a week. And when we finally did hear from him, he actually worked at the community center. He had walked to the community center, collected the computers, put them in a box, walked 15 miles, took a bicycle taxi 15 miles with like seven computers, <laughs> and then took a, a bus to us, like just the loyalty of, of these guys. But anyway, long story short, we are now in the city. The Lord has provided another place for us to live. Looking back, you think, and I heard you say this the other day too, but like, why God? Like the center was just up and moving. People were coming to the Lord. Like the church really seemed to get the vision. They were going out, they were sharing the gospel. And now they're spread out all over the place. Well, duh, they're spread out all over the place. Like <laughs> Jason ran into the same brother from the very beginning of this story, like a couple weeks before he left. And he had two men sitting next to him. And these were two men that he shared the gospel with while he was fleeing. They've come to know the Lord and he's discipling them right now in the village in which he's in. Another brother from the bush goes to the big city and starts sharing the gospel. And a pastor invites him to teach his church how to share the gospel. <laughs> like this little country boy, you know, is now teaching in the big city. And, you know, that handful of believers, the four or five, like God has placed very strategic places and they're being faithful to share the gospel and not only that but all of these UUPGs that have been unaccessible to the gospel be it distance be it war be it whatever because these guys have taken over the whole like northern part of our of our province and all of these people are now coming to the city where there is a church presence and so we feel very burdened now to equip the church <laughs> because the time is now Many UUPGs are here. They're vulnerable. They're hurting. They have family members they don't know are dead or alive. They just can't find them. And they need the hope of Christ. And so that's where we're at now is um, preparing the church to reach these guys who have just showed up on our doorstep. And sum it all up, man, God is in control. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. 
and you can't question him and he's going to get you through it when you're walking through it and don't worry about that today just live today and uh, you know my, my theme verse is second corinthians 12 9 so no um i'm gonna read it actually that's okay second corinthians 12 9 uh, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that sums up my life. I feel weak and out of control every day of my life. (laughs) But that is exactly where we need to be in order for God to be strong and to show us things that we could not even ask or imagine. It's such a beautiful story and I've heard pieces of it in the last few weeks, but to hear, to hear you tell it in its entirety in one big story is it's just mind boggling how you can sit here with bullets flying through the air, feeling like, okay, God, we're going to be okay. Like it's, it's just not human. It's just not human. (laughs) It's of the Lord. It's it's God. I mean, it's not. I told you my weaknesses is I'm a scaredy cat. Like I get terrified. (laughs) But God says I'm not. So so trust me. Oh, but it gives me so much confidence in our own world. Like here in the safety of the Bible Belt America, we don't have anybody shooting bullets at us because of our faith or because of the surrounding, you know, political situation. And yet we're still afraid to open our mouth about who this person is that brings this supernatural peace where does this come from so it's just such an encouragement to hear your story and to hear how God is so faithful and how he uses his word to guide us in every season and every step and he brings it back to mind of like this is what I want to say to you right now you're going to be okay you you need to take refuge in me your concrete house is wonderful and it's uh, lots of people are flocking to it but I am your refuge I am your refuge Absolutely. They were right outside the walls of that country's house and could easily have shot in it. Thank you for sharing your story. It is so encouraging and it is so beautiful. And I love how, yeah, those, those why questions of, from our human perspective, things are falling apart. We were doing so great. We we're rocking along and this church is gaining momentum. And then everything just gets scattered and blown up. But he says, oh, no, no, I'm doing something. I'm doing something amazing. I am using all of this chaos around you. I am using this virus. I am using this war for my glory. And because you have been so faithful for years to, to turn up the soil and to plant those good seeds, that I have a handful of believers and I will use them for my glory and I will be in control to, uh, to shift people around. And then just like you guys landing in the city and there's all of these unreached people groups that have never had a chance to hear, which is your heart, which I think is so beautiful. He says, you don't have to go to them. I'm bringing them to you for this season. Yeah. And I'm giving you all of these clothes that your kid, kids can't wear so that you can use that as a, as a door, as a, you know, as an opportunity to open the door to, to meet with them and, and to love them. Just all of those details. He's so in control and it's, it's just so beautiful. I love it. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Everything you just said is completely what the Lord has been showing me is I'm in control. I'm going to get you out. We need it. I'm going to take care of who I'm going to take care of. I have a bigger plan than your little community center, you know, 
I have this country in my plans and I'm a very excited to see what God does with this really small handful of people in the future for sure. Absolutely. I'm excited to hear what happens next. You know, and something the Lord, because I understand that we live in an uncertain world, you know, and right now the plan is to go back and to see, see all that's happened. But, you know, I understand that what I imagine happening could not be what God does, you know, but if anything, I trust that he's still in control. So that's the lesson that I'm going to take away regardless of what happens. Right. Well, Amanda, will you close this out in prayer? I, I feel like anybody specifically who struggles with fear and this, the fear of man, but the fear of the, the what ifs, um, would you yeah. just close us out? That would be great. Father, we just come before you uh, right now. Lord, I'm humbled in your presence, knowing that you are God Almighty, sitting on your throne. Lord, we are so small in comparison to you. We are weak, we are vulnerable, um, we are sinful people, but God, you in your mighty power still choose to use us, still choose um, to let your kingdom grow. God, I pray for, for those who are afraid, Lord, who are afraid um, of people, who are afraid of maybe losing jobs, of maybe losing relationships, of maybe just losing their image, Father. Lord, I pray that, God, you would be courageous in them. Lord, I pray that they would not fear man, but that they would fear God more than man, that they would fear you more than anything or anyone else in this world. And, Lord, I pray that you would give them courage to share the gospel, God, that you would give them courage to take that step, whatever it is you're asking them to do, Father. Um, Lord, I pray, God, that you would continually humble us. May we never get comfortable um, in our faith, may we never get comfortable in our life, but always be asking um, what's next and obey you whatever you're asking us to do. God, I thank you for just being strong when we are weak. Um, Lord, I pray that you, as you have so often this year in my life and in the lives of the brothers and sisters in Africa, Lord, that you have given comfort. God, many people are hurting and many people have already lost things this year, be it jobs, be it family members, uh, whatever it may be. Lord, I pray that you bring comfort to those who are hurting God. Uh, God, that you be their refuge and their fortress, their ever-present help in time of need. Help us to not put our trust in our own um, willpower, Father, but to put our trust in you, God. Um, and Lord, even if the worst happens, Father, God, you are still good, and we love you, and we worship you, and we thank you for walking with us in this life. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in all things. We love you, God. And it's in your name that we pray. Amanda mentioned that often the Lord would give her a song as a way of processing through what was happening in her world. And she's published a lot of these songs on SoundCloud. And I'll put the link to it in the show notes so that you can hear all of her writings that she has shared there. But there's one that I wanted to share with you here today. Do you remember when her good friend was separated in the bush during the fighting and they, and they couldn't get a hold of her and they couldn't find her for several days? 
The song Refuge was born out of her heart in those days.
man, I don't know about you, but I am on the edge of my seat to hear what God does next with this family. I am so encouraged by their faith, by their heart to leave the comforts of America and the culture where they grew up and to go wherever it is that God would send them to a group of people who do not know the name of Jesus. And her story is incredible. I mean, we have faced challenges. We have faced difficulty being in new cultures, but this is a whole nother level. We're talking about huts and warfare. This is a whole nother level. And for her to be able to say, God is my refuge. God is my strength. He will provide what we need and he will care for us. And he has a plan for us. That just puts like a layer of steel on my shield of faith. I'm like, yes. Listening to her, I'm like, yes, we can do this. We can trust this God in anything that life throws at us. So I hope you are encouraged to hear her story today. I know that I will be living on this story for days and weeks to come. And I'm excited to share it with my kids. Thank you for spending some time with us here on the Journey Podcast. I am honored that you would spend your time listening to these stories. I'm so grateful that God has given them to us in this platform where we can share them around the world. If you have been encouraged by this story or anything else you've heard here, please feel free to share it with a friend, email them a link, drop it on social media, whatever it is you'd like to do. Please feel free to share far and wide. And I want to challenge you to go back through your story. What have you seen God do? What challenges have you been faced with in recent weeks or months or years? Where was the Lord during your challenges and how did he provide for you? Put words to your story and share it with anybody who will listen. Remember, we are just ordinary women encountering life with an extraordinary God. And don't forget that your story has great power too. We'll see you next time, friends.